0: My guest on this Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk is Germany's ambassador to the United States, Peter Wittig, a career Foreign Service officer who has been in Washington for just over two years. The United States happens to be his fourth ambassadorial post, having represented his country in Lebanon, Cyprus, and the United Nations, where he was successful in winning Germany's campaign to have a non-permanent seat on the Security Council. Welcome, Your Excellency. It's a
1: pleasure to be with you.
0: There's been a great deal of activity in Germany over the last, I guess really about the last year concerning Mm -hmm. the refugees, Mm -hmm. primarily coming from Syria, and your Chancellor took a very bold step which was viewed favorably at least in the beginning, but Mm -hmm. now I think it's hit some challenging times. Mm -hmm. Give us your thoughts on that and tell us a little bit about the whole process.
1: Well, first of all, this is uh, one of the most (coughs) challenging situations, crises, if you will, for Europe and also for Germany. This wave of uh, refugees has hit us unprepared, so the numbers uh, have been spectacularly great. Uh, We have taken in 1.1 million refugees in 2015 alone. If you put this into proportion in the U.S., that would mean 4.4 million refugees in a year. That's an enormous number. The number is big and it challenged our infrastructure and it challenged also the capacity of the population to absorb this high number of refugees and migrants. Now, most of uh, the people welcomed the refugees. Of course, there there was also some skepticism as to whether we should take them all in. It required a set of measures. The, The lesson that we learned is there is no single lever to pull manage that refugee crisis There has to be a set of measures and uh, we have taken some of, of those measures speed up the asylum procedure protect our external European borders in a more robust and regular fashion etc etc and the numbers have gone down indeed what number do you think that you're projecting for 2016 Difficult to say, but i give you a number and a comparison from the situation last year. In November, we had about 10,000 a day, daily, coming to our country. Now, the number is down to a two-digit figure, so that tells you the downturn of the numbers. But we still had about 170,000 in the first four months this year. So that's about the rhythm of influx that we might expect in the next month, too. The challenges are also political challenges. As you can imagine, people fear that they're losing control over this influx, and people, the population demands that we distinguish clearly between refugees who are persecuted Politically or truly humanitarian purposes. Truly, who, who have a claim for asylum, a humanitarian claim for asylum, or who are fleeing a war on the one hand. And those who are just coming, though understandably, for purely economic reasons, and those we cannot all take in. And that is the necessary distinction we have to make, and that means eventually we also have to repatriate some of those migrants. The challenge is that Europe is in the middle of two very fragile regions, the Middle East and the north of Africa. So it's an almost epic movement of people from those regions.
0: Let me ask you this, how do you fund this large influx now? It just happens today I visited here in Dallas, the IRC, Mm. and of course they're receiving funding at the state level, federal, Mm. as well as some contributions. Mm. How is this being funded in, in, in Germany? It requires
1: a lot of financial resources. Is it all government or is it also charitable? Well, most of it is government. Most of it, I government mean, there is a lot of volunteerism of the civil society, but this mm-hmm. is mostly, let's say, effort to help offer language courses or provide shelter. Most of it is government-funded. And we are in a fortunate situation that. We are still quite a prosperous country. We have a balanced budget, and in in the last year, we even made a surplus in our fiscal policy. So we are not the poorest of countries in Europe, and that helps us in this moment. But you have to win over the population to do this over a long time.
0: And just a few weeks ago, you had elections at the state level. Mm -hmm. And how did this play out, the immigration issue in those elections? It played a big
1: role and we saw the emergence of a right-wing party in one or two or three of those states. A party that has the slogan, um, stop the refugees, is sort of an anti-Islam party. It's not a neo-Nazi party, but it is a party in reaction of those refugees. Um, now, they are not as big as in other countries, so we still are speaking about a fringe. But you can observe all over Europe uh, that there is a rise of right-wing populism and much of it has to do with this refugee crisis.
0: Let me ask you, there's another uncertainty in Europe Mm -hmm. and with the EU, and that is whether or not the UK referendum Mm -hmm. will call for the UK to exit Mm -hmm. the Union. What do you think will happen, if you can say, and Mm -hmm. what would be the impact if the UK did exit?
1: You're right, this is yet another big challenge for the European Union at this point in time, Our position is very clear. We want the UK to remain in the European Union. It's the second biggest economy in the European Union. We consider the UK a key element of Europe. We think Europe is the home of the UK, but of course it's the voters who decide. My own take is that I think in the end the the British common sense and, and also their feeling that they're better off economically in the union than outside will prevail. But there are many unknowns here. It's very close still, isn't it? it that The polls are close, and I think the challenge is mobilizing those in the remain camp. It's always more difficult to mobilize people for the status quo than mobilizing them for change. And I think that will be the challenge for the remain camp.
0: We have time for just one more question and I would like to ask you because of your rich experience in the Middle East, Mm. I I know that when you were at the UN, Germany abstained Mm. in the 2011 UN vote on whether or not to enforce a no-fly zone Mm. in Libya. What do you see as a potential outcome for what's continuing to occur in Syria?
1: Syria is the most intricate international crisis that we have. It morphed from a fight of the Assad regime against a freedom movement into an ethnic, religious, tribal, civil war. It is very difficult to contain. The International Syrian Support Group, a group of 17 nations under the leadership of the US and Russia, is doing its best to forge a, I admit, fragile ceasefire that has been broken. But this is the best hope or then starting a political process to establish a transitional government that is more inclusive and is the first step for peace to Syria. It will be fraught with roadblocks and obstacles, but this is what we can do diplomatically. The big question is what will happen with Assad? And that is still a question that is very controversially discussed. Between Russians and Iranians, on the one hand, and the West, if you will, on the other hand, and of course the Syrian people are also divided about this. But I think uh, we have no excuse to try our best to start to solve that festering wound in the Middle East by diplomatic and political efforts.
0: It's very hard to believe how
1: long it's been going on. It's very sad. It's it's sad. It's it's the. Biggest humanitarian tragedy of our times. Now, I've been serving in Lebanon, and the civil war in Lebanon lasted 15 years. And let's hope that this will not last the same time.
0: Well, we're very glad you're with us. You've been listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. Our guest tonight has been Germany's ambassador to the United States, Peter Wittig. To learn more about a World Affairs Council near you, please go to worldaffairscouncils.org. This program is produced by the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth.